Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, a ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. These podcasts are taken from the messages given at Bethesda Church in our Sunday services. For today's message, Pastor Roy Burkett will be preaching from John chapter 7. The message is entitled, Jesus on Trial. Pastor Roy will be looking at three topics that John highlights for which Jesus is being put on trial. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 7 and follow along with Pastor Roy. I do appreciate each and every prayer that is prayed for me in sermon preparation. And um, just to give you a little insight into what I go through, um, every week can be a little bit different uh, depending on what is happening in the week. And I, this week was, um, you know, one of those weeks where it just wasn't coming together. And I studied a few hours on Wednesday, which I normally do, but I also had to speak over at the nursing home and visited a couple people over there. And Thursday, I tried to work on it some more, as well as doing some administrative things. And, and then it wasn't until I woke up Friday morning that the outline was there and clear. And it just amazes me how God is able to do that. I woke up and it was like, wow, all these hours of study aren't paying off, because sometimes you're like, is this even going to work? Um, and am I going to have a message to bring? And then I thought about the farmers. I couldn't help but thinking about farmers, Daryl. And I was like, what do you do if you show up to feed your cattle and there's no food? <laughs> I mean, how do you explain that to the cattle? And I'm thinking, how does a pastor explain that to his people? <laughs> uh, so I'm glad that God gives the message um, that I believe he wants uh, heard uh, this morning. We're starting in John chapter 7 today. Uh, We have talked about uh, how one commentator said really the first four chapters or so is kind of a period of consideration, and then chapters 5 and 6 is kind of a period of controversy, where there was a lot of controversy centered around Jesus. And now in John chapters 7 through 11 is a period of conflict. There's incredible conflict now as the crowd is becoming more antagonistic toward Jesus. And with that in mind, I have to share this story because it's it's just kind of neat. And it's a story about a cowboy who was riding along and he came upon an Indian who was lying flat on the ground with his ear pressed to the earth. And the Indian said, Wait, wagon, two miles off drawn by two horses, one black, the other gray, four people on board, men in a red flannel shirt, his wife and two kids. The cowboy was very impressed. He said, it's amazing. You can tell all that just by listening to the earth. The Indian said, no, they ran over me 30 minutes ago. Go after them. (laughs) Well, I think in John chapter 7, there is a thunder of crowd who is looking to run Jesus over. There are some headhunters who are looking to separate his head from his body, as it were. And so in this, even though this is not a literal trial, I've labeled this Jesus on trial, it's not a literal trial, but in a very real sense, Jesus is on trial because the crowd, the jury is out. And the verdict is trying to be rendered that this man is a lunatic. 
He's crazy. He's an imposter. He's not the real Messiah. And so that's kind of how they're coming at it. So here John highlights three topics for us for which Jesus is being put on trial. And it opens with the verse talking about after this, Jesus went around Galilee purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Now this was the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. There were three main feasts, Jewish feasts, which required a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate those feasts. The first one was in the spring. It was the Feast of the Passover, or also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The reason the bread was unleavened is because they had to leave Egypt in haste as God delivered his people from Egyptian bondage. The bread did not have time to rise. So they were to eat this unleavened bread as a memorial and a reminder that God had delivered his people. The second feast was the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, which they again celebrated God's provision um, in Egypt. The third one was the Feast of Tabernacles, which was this one, which happened in the fall, or also called the Feast of Booths. At one time, it was even called the Harvest Festival, which happened after the harvest. It's important because John is showing a time progression. The chapter before, in chapter 6, was the Passover. So six months have transpired between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, when we get to chapter 7, this Feast of Tabernacles... There's only about six months of Jesus' life left before the cross. That is important because before long, the prophetic clock is ticking, and pretty soon Jesus is going to reveal himself even further to show this prophetic clock. But it's important because in verse 6, notice he says, Therefore Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. Jesus was on the prophetic clock of going to the cross, and it was not time yet for him to reveal more of his plan. And so that's what he is referring to here on this case. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated for seven days. When they were in the wilderness, they lived in tents or little booths that they would build out of leafy sticks and things like that to protect them from the elements. The Feast of Tabernacles. Now, that is important in a Jewish mind. Why? Because if we go back to John chapter 1, in verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. So here they had lived in these little booths, these little tabernacles, but God was wanting to be the real tabernacle in which they would live and move and have their being. So they celebrated this Feast of Tabernacle for seven days, and on the eighth day they had a holy convocation, a sacred assembly to worship the Lord. So our outline today, there's basically three areas or three topics in which Jesus is put on trial. And let me just give them to you, and then we'll go back and fill in the details. The first one, the first topic is his mission. He was on trial for his mission. It was totally misunderstood, and we'll talk about that. Secondly was his message. 
they misunderstood what he was trying to communicate to the people. And the third one is his mystery. There was a mystery that surrounded Jesus and his teaching and what he was all about. So the first one we see is his mission. The reaction of the crowd. They were hostile toward Jesus. They were hostile and they did not respond very kindly to Jesus. There was also hostility toward the disciples. You remember in the book of Acts, it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As Jesus grew and as Jesus developed followers, their followers were even hostile toward the followers. There was also hostility toward Stephen. You'll remember Stephen when he spoke the word of God in Acts chapter 7. He recounted the history of Israel and the history of God. And what happened in Acts 7.54 was this. It says, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They stoned him. It was a hostile crowd. They were furious about hearing the message of Jesus. Thirdly, they were hostile toward Jesus as well. It tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. The second thing we see here is unbelief. The crowd did not believe, it says in verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now this would include not just he had half-brothers, but he also would have had cousins and things like that. It kind of includes all of those kind of people. They did not believe in Jesus. They refused to accept his mission. They did not believe in his mission, that he actually came from God. And there are a lot of people in our world today who do not even believe in Genesis 1-1, let alone the rest of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You'll have the evolutionists over here hollering, oh, that is not true, that is not true, and they can't even get by that first verse of Scripture. Refusal to accept the mission of God. Secondly, by refusing to accept the mission of Jesus, the crowd was rejecting God's revelation. Why? Because Jesus was sent from the Father over and over in chapter 6 and chapter 7. You'll see that idea. Look with me down, if you will, in uh, chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Uh, Look again down in verse 18. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. Again, over in verse 28, he says, I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. And again in verse 29, it says it again in 33, sent me. The whole idea is that Jesus was sent, and by refusing to accept the mission of Jesus, the crowd was rejecting God's revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's no different today. How do you and I respond to God's revelation given in the person of Jesus Christ? That is the real question. How do you and I respond to God's revelation in the person of Jesus Christ? How I respond to God's revelation will largely determine how I understand my mission in life. In other words, my career. 
and what I do in that career and how I treat people in that career and my philosophy in that career will all be determined by how I understand my mission in life and that should be in direct proportion to God's revelation to you and I. It's absolutely vital. People who are down on life and think that God has dealt them a terrible hand in life become very bitter. And because they are bitter, their main mission in life is to make other people miserable. Since my life is a wreck, I want to wreck other people's lives. And that's the mission that some people are on. The second thing we want to look at here is the reason for his commitment. What was the reason Jesus was committed to this mission? The reason he was committed is he had faith in God's sovereignty. That God had a plan in everything that he was doing. He trusted in his Father's timing in this mission. God had a plan. Notice it says again in verse 6, The right time for me has not yet come. I'm trusting in the timing of the Father. You want to push me ahead? You want me to stick my name out there like a political figure? And I'm not doing it. I am walking in the footsteps of what my Father tells me to do. You ever get swayed by other people? People start whispering, Hey, you should do this. You should do that. Instead of being committed to the Father's timing in our life. You know, there's a lot of good worldly advice out there that we can listen to. But we need to make sure we are paying attention to the voice of our Heavenly Father in everything that we do. I had to chuckle. I came across recently a Peanuts cartoon. Linus and Sally are walking and Sally says to Linus, You know, I, I worry about getting old. Linus responds with, that's nothing to worry about. Sally turns to Linus, uh, who's getting, uh, or I mean, Linus turns to, Sally turns to Linus, who gets all emotional. She begins waving her arms and shouts, of course it's something to worry about. And then she begins to walk away and she said, who wants to be nine? <laughs> I'm like, wow, who wants to be nine? Uh, but we get all worried about timing. Of everything, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God and the Father's timing in our lives for things. We don't need to force things. We don't need to manipulate things and people. If God is involved in it, the Father's timing is crucial. And that's why, even as I said last week, we've been praying as leadership about the timing of expanding our facilities or of developing more ministry. It's got to be according to the Father's timing and not ours. And that's what we want to be committed to. And would you pray for us about that as well? Secondly, he embraced his determined dispatch. You're like, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that, his dispatch from heaven. Of when he would be sent to the earth to begin the rescue process of redemption. It tells us again in John 1.14, the word became flesh. Jesus embraced that divine dispatch from heaven. According to the Father's timing. He was not afraid to do that. And when we do that, when we respond to that divine dispatch, when God sends us out to do something, this provides not just perseverance, but it adds joy to the journey. It amazes me how people are so miserable. And we shouldn't just be people of perseverance and endurance. We should be people who are enjoying the journey 
because we're doing it at the dispatch of the Father. He has placed you here for such a time as this. He has placed me here for such a time as this at the Father's dispatch in our life. And we need to recognize that. Thirdly, he accepted divine delays. They were wanting him to go. He would not go. And he says in verse 8, You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. I'm accepting this divine delay from the Father and I will not run ahead of him. I hope you won't either. That you don't run ahead of the Lord. It is crucial that we accept divine delays. We saw in John chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000, they wanted to promote him as their king and political leader, but his time hadn't come yet. He accepted the divine delay from his father. Here, Jesus' life is being threatened. He knew there were people looking for him. He wasn't afraid of the threat He was afraid of missing the Father's timing. And he wanted to go according to that. Because right after that, it says in verse 9, he stayed in Galilee. However, in verse 10, after his brothers had left for the feast, he also went, but listen, not publicly, but privately. He did the exact opposite of what the worldly council told him. Go and put yourself on display. Well, he went... In his timing, the Father's timing, and he also did it privately rather than a big splash because he wanted to do the Father's will. He also depended upon his Father's strength. Jesus was fully aware of where his strength came from. And when we, are, when we understand that our strength comes from the Lord, that gives us not only support, it gives us security. There's security in that. So he, he had faith in God's sovereignty, and the second aspect of this is he had focus on God's mission. He was not easily distracted. Some people get so easily distracted, they get a new hobby. Something else comes along that is a new fad. Something else sounds a little bit better over here. I mean, some people change churches like I change socks, you know, they, they, they just like something over here and something upsets them over here and they go from place to place to place to place and, and they never grow. They grow old, they complain, but they never grow up. And they get so easily distracted by some little comment or some little slight or something over here and not be easily distracted. Jesus was never distracted from his mission. And neither should we be. It's easy to allow a hobby or a sport or something to come in that begins to distract us and take us away from the main thing, the main thing. And yes, I'll even attack the dragon of sports on Sunday because that is a sacred cow in our day. But I'm telling you, when I was a kid, there was no sports on Sunday. The reason there are today is because everyone wants to do whatever's convenient. And I think it's a distraction to following Jesus Christ. A big distraction. But there are a lot of people who have been swayed into that and have bought into that. Don't be distracted off the mission that God has called us to. Secondly, he was never derailed from his mission. Some people are not just merely distracted. They are absolutely derailed. 
They're not even on the path of righteousness anymore. At one time they were singing the songs of Zion, reading the scripture. Today they're not even in the house of God. They've been derailed from the mission. Oh, what a sad commentary. God, deliver me from ever being distracted or derailed from your mission, your plan for my life. May that never be true. Jesus never sidestepped suffering or attempted to renegotiate his reason for coming. He could have been in the garden. Yes, he prayed that God would take away the cup, but he embraced it after he got the answer. He fulfilled his obligation. He never sidestepped suffering. And neither should we. If God brings it into our life, Jesus was always passionate about the right things. He never allowed his passion to become displaced. There are some people who will hunt, and they'll get up in a tree stand before the crack of dawn. But to get them out of bed to crack open their Bible is another story. Because their passion is displaced. There are a number of people who spend more time reading people's comments on Facebook than they do putting their face in the book and really becoming what God wants us to become. Monitor your time of how much time you spend on Facebook versus how much time you spend reading this book. It's crucial that we don't lose track of that. Don't allow your passion to become displaced. Second topic, his message. We see the reaction of the crowd down in verse 12 and 13. He says, Among the crowds there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Can you get a sense of the situation? It was a little tense. It really was. And so here we see the reaction of the crowd. It was divided. Some whispered, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's an imposter. He's an actor. He's a faker. He's not the genuine article. And the crowd was divided. There was controversy and division. Because that's what's going to happen. And isn't that what's true, what happens in a restaurant, if you're talking with people, or just people in the marketplace in general? When you bring up the name Jesus, it brings controversy and division to the group, depending on where the group stands. Kind of like politics. <laughs> Two things everybody says you should avoid is religion and politics, because as soon as you start talking about it, it brings in division. You know, you got the north and the south, as it were, There. The reason for his commitment. He believed in what he was saying. That's why he was committed. He believed in his mission. He believed in his message. He believed in what he was doing. He spoke with a sense of urgency, but he always couched what he said with a spirit of love. Secondly, he could read the hearts of men as well. He knew what was in man, and he could read their hearts. What about us? 
the message that we have. First of all, I think before we look at our message, we need to look at the messenger that God has called us to be. Let me share with you a little story I came across that really hit home for me, and I trust it will for you. It's called The Eyes of a Doctor or The Eyes of a Judge. Let's suppose you're on your way to work each morning and you stop at a Starbucks. We don't have one here. Say McDonald's or whatever. You tend to get to the store at the same time each morning, and you usually see a young girl who gets there about the same time you do. On many mornings, you find yourselves standing next to each other in line. In fact, both of you order the same thing. Double espresso with skim milk. That wouldn't be me. That's too strong. She seems to be in the, into the gothic culture. Black hair, black clothes, knee-high jackboots, black fingernails, black lipstick, piercings in the nose, lips, ears, eyebrows, and scattered tattoos. She usually has a backpack that she has to take off to get her money. And sometimes it seems hard for her to hold the backpack get the money, pay for the coffee all at the same time. She doesn't make too much eye contact with others. You wonder whether you should strike up a conversation with her, maybe offer to hold her backpack while she pays. You're not sure what to do with the whole gothic bit, and you don't know whether you should give, she would give you a dark look and not say anything. Should you try to be friendly? Maybe... Find out what brings you both to the same Starbucks each morning. See if she ever tries any of the other specialty coffees. Move toward greeting her each morning. Learn about other parts of her life. Yes, by all means, move into her world. Make a comment one day about how the cashier probably already knows before you order what you want to order. Offer to hold her backpack while she pays. A couple days later, tell her your name and ask for hers. If she misses a few days, tell her you hope she wasn't sick the next time you see her. Now the question is, why move into her world? Why do that? Because with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. You see an anger and an alienation in her with the eyes of a doctor. Maybe it's because of sexual abuse from a stepfather, a brother, an old boyfriend. But you can see the heaviness and the sadness. With the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. There's a man at work that everybody shakes their head at. He's been divorced a couple times and... Both his ex-wives are suing him for past child support. He's a deadbeat dad, way behind on his support, sending them just a little bit every so often. He's been living with another woman and her small child, but a couple of weeks ago, he slapped her around pretty hard. She called the cops. He spent a couple nights in jail, and she kicked him out and now has a restraining order against him. He's currently living in one of the cheap motels that rents by the month. Every day at lunch, he goes out by himself to get a hamburger or a burrito, always coming back with mustard or chili on his shirt. Nobody talks very much to him. 
because he's too quick to complain about how everyone's taken advantage of him and everybody's pushing his buttons and squeezing him dry. Who wants to listen to that? You often wondered about being nice and offering to go to lunch with him. You like the same fast food he does, Burger King, Taco John's, and Subway. And you know, Subway has a sale going on. A three-foot-long sandwich for ten bucks. More than you can eat, more than I can eat. You couldn't possibly eat that much, so why not take advantage of the bargain? Shouldn't you invite him along one day? Yes, by all means. Move into his world. Go to lunch with him. When you get to Subway and you both sit down, ask him what his likes are and dislikes. Does he follow baseball? Does he not follow baseball? What is his hobbies? Learn things about him. Why move into his world? Because with the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. You see a bitterness at life, failing at relationships, blaming others instead of knowing how to change himself. You sense his fear of the future. No money. A criminal record on the books and his desperation over being alone in the world. With the eyes of a doctor, you see a hurt that God can heal. And it goes on and it shares about another individual a single mom playing in a co-ed softball league. And it's a, it's a company softball team. And the question is, should they join the team? There's a lot of drinking and language. And by all means, join. And by all means, add some Cokes to the beer. And by all means, move into their world. Reach out to that single mother's little child and make him the bat boy. And begin to build a relationship with him. Have him sit with you on the bench to build a relationship. To begin to share the mission of Jesus. And begin to share the message of Jesus. You see, in life we can have the eyes of a judge. Or we can have the eyes of a doctor. The eyes of a judge see a gothic girl, a deadbeat dad. Leave us thinking, why have anything to do with them? The eyes of a doctor sees the hurts that God can heal. Why was Jesus committed to his message? Because he had the eyes of a doctor. He saw people who were hurting, people who were angry, people who were desperate, looking for something, people who are hungry and thirsty for real life. And that's why he says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, which would have been the seventh day, in verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. The last thing we see is his mystery. That was a total mystery to them. You see, because in their culture, in going to these festivals, there was a thing where they would pour out water every day. 
They would pull it out of the pool of Siloam and they would pour it out as a ritual of recognizing God's provision for them in the wilderness. And Jesus took advantage of that and he says, if you want real water, if you want living water that will quench every thirsty soul, it's found in Jesus Christ. Him and him alone. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the one who will supply everything that we need. But what was the reaction of the crowd? Surrounding his teaching. Well, here's what it was. Look down in verse 45 with me. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees and asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? They went to seize him. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard declared. And earlier, right before that, it says that the people were divided. Uh, if we go back into chapter 7, I was trying to uh, show you here, uh, verse, down in verse 40, on he- hearing this, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town David lived in? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. It was an incredible mystery to them of his teaching ability. No one ever spoke the way this man does. They were amazed at his knowledge. He was right up there with any rabbi, and he could share incredible things with them. His scholarship was incredible. You remember in Acts chapter 4, when the disciples were out witnessing, it says that they took knowledge of them, that they were unschooled and unlearned men, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus, because they spoke with an authority that came from Jesus. And the other thing was, was not just his teaching, but his origin. They didn't understand when he said he came from heaven. They didn't understand that at all. They had a hard time embracing that. He says in uh, verse 27, but we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. And they had a hard time embracing that. I don't know, I had an opportunity to look at the paper just briefly this morning. There was an article in there about a war hero, Louis Zamperini. Seventy years ago, people were convinced he was dead. He just passed away here July 2nd. There's a biography out on his life called Unbroken, and they're going to be turning it into a movie But there was something as I read through this article early this morning that struck me. He was a World War II bomber who crashed in the Pacific Ocean. Everybody thought he was dead. He was a, a former Olympian star, a track athlete, and everybody thought he was dead, so they actually named a race in his name and honor. The second time they had it, he showed up at it and surprised everyone. Even his parents thought he was dead. He and another crew member actually survived, and here's what it says. He and one of the other surviving crew members drifted for 47 days on a raft in shark-infested waters. Listen, 
drinking rainwater and eating fish and birds they caught with their bare hands before being captured by the Japanese forces. And then he spent two years in Japanese as a prisoner of war. A third man died before they reached land. Here's what he said. Forty-seven days in a raft, you learn the value of water more than anything in the world. He told the AP in a 2003 interview. He said, we prayed for rain to have something to drink. And then this comment. When you're hungry, you eat anything. Let that sink in. When you're hungry, you eat anything. And the reason I point that out is because we have a lot of people in our world who are hungry and thirsty, and they're feeding on everything the world has to offer that is leaving them high and dry. And we have the message. And as we prepare for the Super Summer Jam and this outreach, we have the opportunity to take the living water, to take the bread of life to our community. Will you please pray that God will do that? Let me close with these. What is my mission today? It is to make Jesus known to my family, friends, and those I come in contact with. That should be my mission, to make Jesus known. And we have a great opportunity this summer to do that. And even building up to that as you pray and as you interact with people, as you see the gothic girl in McDonald's, as you see the divorced dad over here who is struggling, as you see the single mom, look at him through the eyes of a doctor. What is my message today? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his power to deliver people from the bondage of sin and reconcile them to our Heavenly Father. That's it. The power is not in you and I, The power is in the message of Jesus Christ and he simply wants us to share it with others that they might know the life-giving water of God. What is my mystery today? What is the mystery? Is there a mystery around us? I think there is a mystery around believers. There should be and it is this, that my feet march to the beat of a different drum that I have a heavenly mindset. And I think we can say with the Apostle Paul these words. If it comes, maybe it's not going to come. If it doesn't, I'll just tell you what it is. Should have been on there. It is this in Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes on this 4th of July weekend. And I would simply ask you, have you embraced the mission, the message, and the mystery of Jesus? If you have, how is it impacting your mission, your message, and your mystery to a lost world? Because as this World War II gentleman indicated and this just kind of echoes in my mind 
He said, when you're hungry, you eat anything. There are people in our world this morning that are feeding on garbage because that's all they know. And they are dying spiritually from spiritual malnutrition. They need the living water of Jesus Christ. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And by coming to Jesus, you're saying, I believe in you and I believe in your mission and your message. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered to him? Have you been distracted from the mission? Have you been derailed from the mission? If you have, would you confess that to the Lord and get back on track this morning? And pray for those around you, family, friends, neighbors, people in the marketplace, as we have opportunity to share the gospel. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, I would invite you to invite him into your heart and life, to realize that you are a sinner and apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ, there is no hope for you. Your hunger will not be satisfied. You will continue to be hungry. Your thirst will not be quenched. You will continue to be thirsty unless you come to the water of life in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you that you were not distracted from your mission or derailed. You were willing to put your steps in line with the Father's will. And you never sidestepped suffering. You never sidestepped the Father's will. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us that we would never displace our passion, that our passion would always be the cross of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God in the person of Christ. Nothing wrong with having hobbies and other things, but God, they need to always be secondary to your mission and to your message. Lord, as we reach out into our community and we see people who have that gothic look or that divorced dad or that single mom or that rebellious teenager, God, may we reach out to them. May we look with them through the eyes of a doctor and not the eyes of a judge. May we see an eternal soul who is headed for eternal destruction May we reach them out of the fire with compassion. Lord, I pray that you will give us a burden and a passion for you and for the peoples of the world. Help us this week to be your ambassador to a lost world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. 
you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.